Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast for the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you haven't already, we encourage you to check out our audio archive at vineyardcampbellsville.org. You can also subscribe on iTunes or wherever you like to get podcasts. And now, here's this week's message brought to you by Senior Pastor Adam Russell. Happy Sunday. Hey, it's almost Christmas. We've almost lit all the candles. I hope everybody's had a good week, and I hope that you're going to get a little time off this week, and I hope uh, that you're going to have a Merry Christmas. And I just want to underline that last announcement from Andrew. Our Christmas Eve service that we're going to have online, uh, it's really good. Like, Like, I know I'm biased. I know that I helped make it. It doesn't mean what I'm saying isn't true. Like, I just want to like, give a pre-shout out to Glenn and the musicians. Uh, the music on this thing is ridiculous. There's a harp, like a giant harp, and there's a cello, and it's really beautiful. And so it'd be great if you could find a way to stream that and all of us jump on together, because I think that'll be a really cool moment, even if we're not in the same room catching one another's hair on fire. <laughs> Honey Harden, <laughs> shout out. Uh, anyway... It's a very, very cool moment. It would be great to have everybody on there with us. Um, Yeah, very, very fun. Looking forward to that already. All right, here's what I want to do this morning. This morning's sermon comes from Luke chapter 1. And Brittany, let's just go ahead and put it up. Let's, let's, Let's read some scripture. This is the passage this morning. I'll read. You listen. It goes like this. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's... In the sixth month... Of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Dang, that's hard to say. God sent an angel, Gabriel, to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor, David. That's the reason this morning's passage we read earlier had all that David stuff in it. Yeah, it's one long story. And he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. And Mary asked the angel, But how can this happen? I'm a virgin. And the angel replied, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, But she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. For the word of God will never fail. Mary responded, I'm the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. That's the passage this morning. And what I want to do is I want to talk to you a little bit this morning in the sermon that I'm calling, When Plans Change. When plans change, feels like an appropriate 2020 sermon. I guess I just want to start here. Uh, There are so many things 
about the passage that we just read this morning uh, that I love. There's a lot of stuff I love about this particular story. But I think the thing I love the most about this story is, is stuff that's actually hiding in plain sight. It's like really obvious. None of what I'm about to share with you is like uh, super insightful, but it's the stuff I love. Like we all know the details, right? Like we just read them. Uh, you've, got, you've got Mary, she's like 16. Uh, she's betrothed to Joseph, which means that she's like more than engaged, but not quite married. It's a weird thing. And in the moment of her betrothment, she meets this angel, and it's none other than Gabriel. And Gabriel's like, hey, look, you're going to get pregnant, and the, the son is going to be uh, in the line of David, and it's going to be the son of the Most High. He's going to be the Messiah. And Mary's like, well, how's that going to happen? Because I haven't even had sex yet. And he says, well, the Holy Spirit's going to overshadow you, and, and all of this is going to happen. And not only that, but, but uh, Elizabeth, your relative, uh, every, the one that everyone said was barren is actually not barren. She has a baby inside of her and, you know, all the details here. Mary's like, well, I, I don't know what this means. And, and the angel's like, well, don't worry about it. It's all going to. And then at the end, you know, those beautiful words from Mary, uh, the, the words of surrender where Mary says, uh, let, it, let the things you say, let them be true to me. I'll do it, whatever, you know. And so those are like the details. But the thing I think I love about this story is, is that Mary had a plan for her life, right? Like we can kind of deduce that from the story that we read. We can kind of like pull out of that uh, the awareness that Mary and Joseph, they had a plan for their life. And the thing I want to underline for us this morning is that the plan they had for their life was a good plan, right? Like she's 16, she's founder of man, you know? And apparently he's a good man, he's got a job. And, and one of the things we find in the story is that they're not even sleeping together. Like, these are good people. Now, I know, I mean, those, those kinds of details, those are really unfashionable now, but I just want to say as a pastor of the church, like, like God still really cares about those things, like a lot, you know? I know culture is like, well, like sex before marriage, it doesn't matter. No, it actually does a lot. God still really cares about all this stuff because the only appropriate place that you can place sex is marriage. Like, it's a nuclear reactor, and if you put it in the proper container, it'll power a region, and if it breaks out of that container, it spoils a region. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, like these are good people. They, they have a plan. They, they've, they're going to get married. They're, they're, you know, they've maybe made some sort of an exchange. Maybe, maybe, maybe there's been some, uh, some goats exchanged. Who knows, right? Like, I like to imagine that. I wish that still happened. <laughs> Don't you? I'm really interested in your daughter, and here's how you know. I've brought goats, you know? <laughs> A trailer load. Very interested. <clears throat> Who needs a wedding ring? Show me the animals, you know? But I just love this idea that Mary and Joseph had a plan for their life, and the plan was good. Like, it wasn't a bad plan. It wasn't like, you know what we're going to do? We're going we're gonna to start selling drugs, and we're going to bring lots of drugs into the neighborhood, and it'll be bad for a few, but it'll be great for us, you know? And it wasn't like the plan that God interrupted was a bad plan. It was a good plan. Like, there's even, there's even Bible for that kind of plan. 
you know? There's a Bible for that kind of plan. How many of you, how many of you know this scripture? Little, little line from the New Testament, often overlooked. How many of you guys know 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 11? What does Paul say? He says, make it your goal to live what? A quiet life. What? What? There's even scripture for this stuff. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, make it your goal to live a quiet life, minding your, old, minding your own business and working with your hands. Dang. See, that just flies in the face of every youth group in America. You know, I don't know about you guys, but I grew up in a youth group that said, you know, you're going to change the world. And, and the, the thing that, that most youth groups need more than anything else, especially if you grew up in one like me where, where they told you you were going to change the world every single minute, is you need the antidote, which is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 11. Shut up, be quiet, mind your own business, and work with your hands. Like, that's the life that God likes, you know? By the way, some of you are Bible scholars and are like, well, wait a minute, Adam. You know, Mary and Joseph, that was like before Paul wrote that. Yes, I'm very aware of that. But you can, you can get everything that Paul says in first chapter, the first chapter of Thessalonians from the book of Proverbs. Like, this, this is not new stuff. This is old stuff. Like, where do you think Paul got it, right? Like, try to live a quiet life. Don't make, don't make a big deal. Like, stay out of your neighbor's business. Don't be controversial. Work with your hands. If you do that, you're in, right? And if you look at Mary and Joseph's plan, one of the things you see is it kind of clicks all those boxes, doesn't it? Like, we're just going to get married. Uh, Joseph's going to make some tables. We're going to have some kids. We'll probably homeschool them. We're going to be like... <laughs> We're middle class. It was a middle class dream. That's the thing that I've been noticing from it. It's a middle class dream. And that's a good dream. That's a good dream. And by the way, if you're young here, here's what I recommend. I recommend get yourself like a plan like that. Get yourself a plan. Like figure out how to work with your hands. Uh, maybe, maybe, maybe live a quiet life. Like find yourself a piece of property or a neighborhood. And like get to know your neighbors and rather than blow all your leaves into their yard, like, <laughs> blow them into the street instead. No, but try to live a quiet life. You know, that's, that's, that's not just good advice. It might be, like, the key to real happiness and deep fulfillment. And, and that word that's so anti-American, contentment. You know, that's another New, that's a New Testament word. We don't like that one either, you know. Anyway, Mary and Joseph, that's what they were going to do, right up until an angel showed up with an alternate plan. And I guess that's what I want to talk about for a second, is that sometimes, sometimes God has another plan for your life, or sometimes God has another plan for our lives together. And, and by the way, the, the thing I, I want us to see here, just a few things this morning. Uh, number one is that the plans of God come from elsewhere. Uh, this is why the plan comes on the mouth of an angel. You know, angels, they live in God's presence. And, and how many of you know that sometimes it feels as though God's, plan, God's presence is elsewhere? You know, it's like we live here and God is, is like elsewhere. And, and, and sometimes this, this intersection between the very, very good plan that you maybe have or that I have, 
uh, that gets intersected by God, it, it's almost as though something you never imagined shows up and begins to steer a little bit. And it's like, well, where did those thoughts come from? Or, or where did those dreams come from? Or where did these ideas come from? And, and they come from elsewhere. And that's why we see them on the lips of Gabriel himself. They're coming from heaven. They're ultimately coming from God himself. The plans of God proceed from the heart of God. They come to us. And the reason I'm wanting to bring this up is, is this idea. Uh, we do not manufacture, we do not manufacture the plan of God. Uh, we don't get to make them up. Uh, we also don't even get to dream them. And I'm a person who believes in dreams. Uh, even when we do dream them, if the dream is actually of God, it is, it is still more likely that something outside of us has taken root in our own heart and mind. That's why we see an angel coming to Mary. The good stuff the good stuff is what's pursuing us. It's not necessarily just what's coming from on the inside of us. It's the stuff that's pursuing us. This is why David says, goodness and mercy, what? They follow me. And I love it in the message. Uh, David says this in the message, same verse. He says, it says, surely beauty and love chase after me, pursue me. This is so important because here's what it means. It means we do not marshal our lives the way we think we do. Like, there is action. Uh, there is our plan. Uh, there's our life station. There are our desires. And behind it all is the invisible hand of God who draws us into his purpose. Here's why that's important. It's important because you and I need to hold some space for a word from elsewhere. Like, don't fill your life up with your own plans to the point that a word from elsewhere couldn't change the trajectory of what you're doing. Like, you're not the boss of your life. I'm not the ultimate boss of my own life. How many of you know that I didn't decide when I was born and I won't decide when I die? Like, like there's something from beyond that is marshalling my life. There's something else that's steering. Don't fill your life up with your plans to the point that a word from elsewhere couldn't come and redirect. Now, is Pastor Adam saying don't plan? No, get a plan together. Get a good one. And if something from beyond, if a word from elsewhere comes, go with it. Hold some space for a hard right turn. Anybody in here ever made a hard right turn in your life? especially like a God right turn, like you thought you were going to go one way and then all of a sudden you're, you ended up doing a thing you never dreamed you'd do. Hold some space. Hold some space for a moment where something comes to you and may require something you never knew you may have to give. Here's why. Because the life of the kingdom is not always up and to the right. The life of the kingdom doesn't look like worldly success every time. And it definitely doesn't always fall in line with the congruence of self-determinism. Keep your eyes open for the interventions of God. We even sang it this morning, but the Bible declares this. We love him because what? He first loved us. Like, like even our love from God, it's, it first started with a word from elsewhere. Like, like nobody loves God because... Because, because they just naturally had the love of God in them. No, no, no. It is, it is like your life. Your life came from elsewhere. And, and even, even the love we return to God, it first came 
from elsewhere. And so hold some space. This is like a deeply Christian practice. Hold some space for a word from heaven. Hold some space for a hard right turn. Make plans and know that God might interrupt them. Of course, this brings up all kinds of questions and often brings up insecurity, and we see it in the text this morning. God begins to move. God begins to intervene. And it brings up all kinds of stuff in our lives. Usually questions and insecurity. Uh, Did you notice how when the angel began to speak to Mary, immediately the Bible says she's troubled, not excited. Like the first word is not excited. It's troubled, and she has questions. And by the way, every time somebody meets an angel in the Bible, they're what? Troubled and afraid, you know? This is like, that's, that's, that's like a decent metric for knowing if you've actually met one. Yeah. Like, troubled and afraid. Like, when, when God begins to give us a right-hand turn, when God begins to, like, speak to us in a way that we weren't anticipating, uh, don't be surprised if the first things we feel or the first things we experience are trouble, questions, and insecurity. Like, how do, you, how do you know that God is working in your life? You know, sometimes we do the math and go, well, I know that God is working in my life because I'm excited and I'm, I'm hopeful. I've got the joy. And things are going right. But what we see over and over again in the scriptures is the initial evidence of God working in one's life is usually fear, uh, insecurity. Like, you guys remember, like, think about all the Old Testament stories. Right? Like, like think of, it's, it's replete over and over again. God begins to work in someone's life, and their first reaction is, it ain't me. Like, Moses is like, well, I stutter, you know? And we see this over and over again, and even in Mary's life. Like, the initial evidence of God moving in someone's life uh, is usually not peace, joy, excitement, and winning. It's usually losing uh, fear, insecurity, and trouble. You know, and so you might be thinking this morning, uh, this last season has been a lot of fear, insecurity, and trouble. Uh, uh, good. It, that might be, it might be the devil. It might be 2020. Or it might be God. Isn't that great? Isn't it great? But here's why, you know, some are like, great, great. This is just great. I, now I'm more confused than ever. It's actually a gospel good word because it means that in the middle of whatever it is that's going on, some of it might be the Lord. Like, it could be God. And our emotions don't get to drive the bus or call the shots when it comes to, is God working or not? Sometimes we think the outworking of God is just like up and to the right, but maybe it's just a bunch of questions in our historical insecurities. Hmm. I do love that Mary doesn't end there, though, does she? Not even in this passage. Starts out troubled, starts out with questions, and in the end, she's like, well, may it be to me as you have said. I'm all in. in. It ends in surrender. It ends in faith. And because the story is told the way it is, and by that I mean compressed, because we get this story that's very compressed, we think, oh, Mary started out troubled. She asked a question, and then, and then instantly she's 
She's into surrender and faith. And, and the story is like pretty tight. And we think, oh, she must have just like changed in a moment. And here's the thing. Maybe she did. Maybe she did. But, but here's, here's what I think may have happened. Here's what I think may have happened. Uh, number one, I, I think maybe Mary's response of, may it be to me as you have said, uh, maybe that was like ultimate surrender and maybe that was like amazing faith. Or maybe it's just like a person who didn't want to argue with an angel. I mean, I don't know. Like, it, like if it's a little bit troubling, maybe you're just like, I don't want to argue with this person. You know, but maybe the questions persisted. And here's what I think. I think that there's a chance that those questions persisted even, even when her mouth is saying something. Maybe, maybe her heart hadn't caught up yet. How many of you have said things that your heart had not caught up with? I do, I do that all the time. And then, and then I think that maybe what happened is, you know, poof, the angel is gone. She says these words, poof, he's just, he left her. Now imagine, like the room is dark. You've had this experience your belly isn't big. I don't know. Right? And so what does Mary do? She just goes on with her plan, I think. I think, I think she just literally goes on with her good plan, the one that we talked about God interrupting. I think she goes on with her plan. And then a month goes by, and another month goes by, and then that third month goes by, and Mary's like, wait a minute, something's definitely happening. Right? And then, and then maybe the belly even begins to like get big and she's thinking, I guess this thing is real. And then she goes to Elizabeth and they do the thing and then she starts to sing the song. Like ultimately the song is the moment I think of surrender. The song that Heather preached last week. I think that's the moment of surrender because I think, I think Mary had this like three month journey of going, I, what? But isn't that the way it works? Doesn't, doesn't faith grow slowly? And didn't Jesus say that the kingdom of heaven is like a little tiny seed, like the smallest one? But if you give it a little time, it'll grow and becomes the biggest one in the garden. So faith and surrender, even that is a process. And even though the gospel story comes to us this morning is highly compressed... I think if we read the rest of Luke and put this morning's passage with last week's passage, we see that there's this three-month window. And how many of you have ever had to take three or four months to change your mind? Ten years, even? Yeah. Yeah, I, I suspect that Mary's faith journey was a month or two in the making. And I guess the final thing I want to talk about this morning with you from this text is I just want to talk to you about the paradox between promises and reality. Promises and reality. Gabriel shows up with promises, promises that get fulfilled. You're going to have a baby. It's not Joseph. It's God. And the baby in your belly is the Messiah. These are all the, the promises. Mary does become pregnant she does have a son. It wasn't with Joseph. All the supernatural moments are lived into reality. But it bears noticing that the reality, the one that Mary and Joseph and Jesus lived out, were probably a lot more difficult than anyone would initially imagine. Imagine you have an angelic encounter 
and imagine that all the prophecies that the angel brings happen exactly the way he said, right? You're thinking, this is amazing. Uh, You'd be tempted to think that it's all downhill from there. You'd be tempted to think that when God changes our plans, everything just gets easier and easier. And while I'm sure there were moments of ease and excitement, how many of you know that that's not the whole story? Like, like every single thing the angel said to Mary happened. All of it happened. And it happened just the way that he said. And then, then you would think, oh gosh, this is going to be, this is going to be amazing. Like my, my, my life is just going to be one exciting thing to the next. It's going to be like, we're just going to be coasting. It's just going to be, we're, we're on. It's, it, this, is a, this is wonderful. And there were definitely moments of excitement. Moments like, like when Jesus turns the water into wine at the wedding of Cana, right? Like that's even including Mary. This is Mary older now, right? And they run out of wine and she's like, hey, Jesus, you got to do something about it. And Jesus is like, not my time. But then he does something about it, 180 gallons of wine. Wow. You know, Mary's like, okay, this is definitely like all the things, right? And it's exciting. But, but it's not all just like that. We have to realize that the, that, that the journey probably was, was difficult and maybe even profoundly confusing. So imagine having an angel tell you, hey, you're going to have a baby. The baby is the Messiah. It won't be from Joseph. It will be from the Spirit. And you have the baby and you keep thinking, well, this little guy is the Messiah. And for 30 years, Jesus does nothing. And you think, huh, I wonder, wonder what this is. When is this? You know, just because, just because you get a promise, just because God begins to right hand turn your whole life, it doesn't mean that everything will be easy. Imagine waiting for 30 years for the Jesus who came by a supernatural moment. Imagine, imagine living with him for 30 years and it being like very, very, very normal. The thing I keep laughing about for the last few years about this story is just the idea that, you know, there's, there's 28-year-old Jesus and he's still living at home and he's got no girlfriend. <laughs> just imagine living, like, Jesus ain't even got a girlfriend. What's the matter with Jesus, you know? He's not ugly. And he's just working with his dad. He's just sawing away. He's got no girlfriend. And Mary's over there thinking, what is wrong with you? What is going on? Like nothing. It's just nothing. And he's doing no miracles, by the way. No, none. Like, like he's very interested in the Bible. No miracles. Nothing. You just wait for 30 years. And how many of you know if you waited for 30 years, your brain would start playing tricks on you? You'd be like, I'm, I'm officially crazy. And then finally, Jesus does the wedding at Cana thing, 180 gallons of wine. You're like, yes, finally. Finally, we're back. Finally, we're back. But then if you read the Gospels, Mark chapter 3, it says, in fact, you might want to read this today, just to show you how confusing and difficult it must have been. You have John chapter 1, 180 gallons of wine. But then you go to Mark chapter 3, and you read that Jesus uh, is out doing his thing. And by the way, doing his thing, kicking out devils, preaching good news, healing the sick. And um, by Mark chapter 3, you have uh, Mary and the brothers of Jesus, they go to get him. And why do they go to get him? Because they think he's lost his mind. Go read Mark chapter 3. 
The family of Jesus come to get him because they think he's lost his mind. You think, oh, but you have a promise. Listen, like you have a promise from God. He can take the right-hand turn. I just did a left-hand turn. It'll, it'll be right on the camera. I preach for a living. But you can think, oh, this is going to be easy. Wedding at Cana. And just a few days later, your family thinks you're a megalomaniac who's lost his mind. And we need to bring him home and settle him down. Because maybe he's become schizophrenic. Like, there's no stained glass for that moment. You know, I went to Spain. I went to, I went to France. There was never a stained glass moment in any cathedral of like Jesus' mom thinks he's crazy. And from the other gospels, apparently what Jesus tells to his family in that moment is, hey, I'm not coming to see you. The people who do the will of God, those are my brothers and sisters. And Jesus leaves them. What? I had you. I just, I, you know, you think this is so simple. No. Uh, then stack on top of that, the fact that most of Jesus' ministry was controversial. Like, we have so stained glass Jesus. We have made him so tame. Like, we, we have turned him into this little kitten who comes and just sits on your lap. Dude, like, if Jesus came here, he would set this place on fire, probably. Like, he really would. And probably he would start with me, because all of Jesus' is just true. It makes me think about it a lot. But all of Jesus' fights were with the religious leaders. So imagine you're Mary and Joseph. Like, you're good Jews, and we even know they're good Jews. They get married. They take Jesus to be circumcised on the eighth day. Like, they're doing all the stuff. They don't have much money. They got little doves. That means they're poor. I mean, they go and do the things. And imagine Jesus is the Messiah. You've been doing this for decades, 30 years. He doesn't do anything. He finally turns some water into wine. Then you think he's crazy. And then he tells you, I don't want to talk to you. Only the people who do the will of God are my brothers and sisters. And you think you're rejected. He, he's out doing God knows what else. And you think for those 30 years, you've been going to the synagogue with all of your friends. And, and then when Jesus really starts to do his stuff, he's fighting, literally fighting with every single person you ever went to church with, hardcore, in public. Like, you would be, can you imagine if that was your son? Like, your son fights with every Christian, especially the smart ones, like is just lighting them on fire. And you would think he's literally lost his mind. He has lost his mind. I, I have a, Gabriel, where are you now? You would, you would think that. You would think like, imagine Jesus shows up and he tells, he just tells the whole, you know, he tells the whole Franklin family, you know, you guys ain't got it. You've, you've missed the plot. Franklin Graham and your daddy, you both lost the plot right? America would be like, what? You can't talk about Franklin Graham and his daddy that way and Jesus like I just did. And his mom is like, what? Yeah. You fight with the religious leaders all of the time. By the way, this is, an, this is like a, uh, an honor-shame culture, which we don't quite have in the same way. It's, you know, just, it's because every, it's, nothing is personal, Nothing is personal shame is what I'm trying to say. It's familial shame. So if Jesus is out fighting with the synagogue rulers, the people who taught 
you and your whole family, and even when Jesus was a kid, taught him the scriptures, if Jesus is out fighting with them, it's not shame on Jesus, it's shame on us. Like it, Mary would receive this, Mary and Joseph would receive this as we have done something wrong. Right? Man, what the heck? And then, and then Jesus turned around and healed somebody who was sick. And you'd be like, wow. You know, and then, and then Jesus would let a sinful woman pour perfume on him. And by the way, we all read that as a beautiful story. How would Jesus' mom read that story? What? She would read that story the way that the synagogue rulers, the religious leaders, and the way that Jesus' own disciples read that moment. If you read the Gospels, when this woman comes in off the streets and pours $40,000 of perfume on Jesus' feet, what did the disciples say to each other? Uh, that's, a, that's a lot of money. We could have used it. And the religious leader is saying, he doesn't know who's touching him. She's a sinful woman, right? Like, all of this just emotional chaos. And then, and then, Jesus gets crucified in front of the woman with all the promises. Imagine that. It's like, what? Gabriel, you told me about this kid. I did not sleep with Joseph. I've had a baby. I waited for 30 years. He did the wedding thing. Then we thought he was crazy. Then he fought with everyone we knew. Then he healed some people. And then he let hookers touch him and pour out $40,000 of perfume. And now he's dead. And not a little bit dead, but like extra dead. And by extra, I mean like they beat him to a bloody pulp before they killed him and they did it in public and then he dies naked in front of the woman with all the promises. What? What am I trying to say? I'm just trying to say like when God gives us promises, it doesn't mean it's going to be easier. It might mean it's going to be way harder. It might mean that it's going to be way difficult. In fact, that may be the reason you need the promises in the end is to hang on through all the difficulty that's coming. Like the coming of the kingdom isn't just up and to the right. And of course, Jesus gets raised as well. Of course, his mom eventually finds out. But, but just, as, just about the time that that reality, like resurrected Jesus, gets into your brain. And how many of you know that at the beginning you'd be like, I don't know what's happening. I definitely saw you dead. Now I'm hearing stories that you're alive and maybe she has an encounter with him. But just about the time that you get your brain around the fact that Jesus is alive, what does he do? He sins. What? What? I can't even prove it anymore. What? Yeah. Sometimes the promises of God, oh man. Sometimes they don't just lead us up and to the right. Mary had the promises. She carried him in his womb. And then she had a life of what I believe to be like real difficulty and confusion. It's all in there. God comes to us with a new plan. It might be exciting and crazy, but it also is going to be hard. And none of that is a retraction or a diminishment to the word. Like, if we're going to be kingdom people, if we're going to do kingdom work, 
if we're going to be people who walk in the promises of God, here's what I can absolutely tell you for sure. It'll be exciting and confusing. It'll be great and it'll be terrible. It'll be uh, easy and it'll be hard. It'll be, it'll be joy and it'll be tears. Uh, all of these things, they, they just sit together. And, and that's, that's the way it goes. Like this is part of the Christmas story. All of these promises up front. All of this difficulty and confusion later. Mary's experiencing confusion even when she gets the word and bewilderment. Some of that just never leaves, even with all the evidence in front of her. And so one of the reasons I wanted to share that with you this morning is like, man, maybe God's at work in your life. And, and maybe, maybe, we've been, maybe we've been writing it off because we thought it was supposed to make things easier. And, and maybe it hasn't. And maybe we've been overlooking the work of God because we thought it was going to be one thing when in reality... Like even gospel reality, like Bible reality is not just up and to the right. It's not just everything gets easier. In in fact, it's that everything gets more whatever that is. The only only image I have is brackish waters, right? Uh, You guys know when a freshwater river runs into the ocean, like a freshwater into a salty ocean. Anybody ever seen that moment? It's called brackish waters. Have you ever been, anybody ever been to a place where the two things run together like that? Yeah, it's, it's amazing. You can literally see the difference in water. It's the weirdest thing. It's the, it's, it's the strangest thing. You can, you can stand right there where those things meet. And I, I don't know of a better image for the kingdom of heaven than that. It's like these things, these moments, they come together and and. And it doesn't always look like what we thought it would look like, but it is not a negation of God or his plan or his word or his promise or the way that he wants to steer in your life. You know, if you get an awesome promise from God and all of a sudden life gets really hard, it doesn't mean that God has forgotten you. It doesn't mean that he's not at work. It doesn't mean that he's trying to punish you. It just means like, well... Welcome to the real show. This is the way it really, really is. And if it was that way for Mary, then how much more for us? If it was that way for the apostles. By the way, the apostles who followed Jesus around. You know, hey, come and follow me. Yes, this is exciting. Like, we're following the guy who heals people, you know? Yes, yes. And all of them died a horrendous death, just like Jesus except for maybe John, right? And he died alone on an island. What? Like, like, we have to have an expanded ability to hold things that seem to be opposites together because this is where the kingdom work is at. This is where the kingdom work is at. And here, here's my guess. My guess is that a lot of us have plans, some First Thessalonian plans in your life. Keep making them. And hold a little space for God to say something else to you. And when he does... And if it's exciting, awesome. But then when it becomes difficult, don't lose heart. It's still a promise. Amen? I've said too much already. Glenn, why don't y'all come on up here? Thanks again for stopping by the podcast of the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you'd like to keep up with what's happening at the Vineyard, you can follow us on social media. Until next time.